Today on Ag News Daily. It's like, the, you know, once somebody does it successfully around you, then they'll do it. So that's why it's important to have some of those companies that have put the stuff in already. Have them here again at events like this talking about how, how well it's done for them. So. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Madison Honkamp here with the Ag News Daily Podcast. And of course, I am joined by Mike Pearson and Delaney Howell. Good afternoon. I was almost going to jinx you there, Mike. I know. You're going to owe me a pop. No, you're going to owe me a pop. No, I don't think that's how that works. I think so. Uh, Well, we've got, uh, other than jinxes, we've got news in agriculture today, mainly the big piece of news that's kind of moving the markets a little bit is that the U.S. and China are going Mm -hmm. to engage in trade talks. You ladies see this? Oh, yes, of course. So the word is that these talks are going to begin again in October. So we've got to wait another month. But there was a phone call between Washington and Beijing. And all reports are that that phone call went very well. So things appear to be moving again on the the trade discussion uh, bandwagon. So I guess we'll just see how it all turns out. Do you want to guess how many rounds of trade talks this will make? Well... I'm cheating because I just okay. saw it. You just 13. saw it. I know. That's a lot. Yes. They must. It is a lot. Yeah. That, that just seems excessive. It does. A little excessive. Yeah. But, you know, it's only excessive if uh, nothing gets done. If it gets us done, then we're making progress. Right. Well, the other big headline that jumped out at me today is the Democratic debates that happened last night, televised, I believe, on CNN. A variety of issues were touched on related to agriculture, but this was an interesting one to me. California Senator Kamala Harris said that food labels, if she's president, should require should be required to disclose the environmental impacts of the ingredients as well as the actual ingredients that are in them. A lot of other candidates made comments about electric vehicles, saying that we should replace the internal combustion engine as quickly as possible, which could have some folks worried as far as the biofuels are concerned if we switched to electric vehicles there. And there was also some discussion about... Uh, just fossil fuels in general, and it seems like only a couple of the candidates really touched on agriculture at all, if any, uh, not related to the food issues specifically. Interesting. The one that jumps out at me, Delaney, and you mentioned it already, is Mm -hmm. the environmental impact of food being put on the label. How in the heck would that be policed and determined and all of this stuff? That is just pie-in-the-sky pandering right there. Yeah, I don't get that. It seems like kind of like a waste of money to do that almost because you have to do all the studies and everything where what actually happened with the environment plus then making the label – and it's going to be different for, like, every farm. Mm-hmm. So that's just, I don't know. That seems very excessive. Yes. Yes. That just seems seems like foolishness. I think you hit the nail on the head, Madison. It is a waste of money. But in a campaign year, we're going to hear lots of wastes of money, I am sure. Yes. And it yeah. sounds like a lot of the candidates, we've got some vegan slash vegetarian candidates this year. So a lot of them were 
we're kind of anti-agriculture altogether, unfortunately. So they they certainly were. I saw an interview earlier today with Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg mm-hmm. from uh, uh, wherever Indiana. Yes, Indiana. Uh, South Bend. Yes, Mayor South Bend Pete and uh, or Gary. Nope, South Bend. That's right. It is South Bend. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he said when talking about the environment, if you use a straw or eat a hamburger, you're part of the problem. Right. That's save that the is, turtles thing, right? With the straws? With the mm-hmm. straws, but also if you eat a hamburger. I don't, I guess because of meat production, they're saying that he's basically relating yes. that back to meat production. Absolutely, Dang which it. is shenanigans. I'm, I I'm sorry, him. Mayor Pete, I can't get on the Pete I train. Was say, I liked if you him, think hamburgers but now, are part of the problem. Yeah, now I'm a little bit against that. Absolutely, I'm 100% against that. Pete, mm. we are rescinding our invitation to come on the Ag News Daily Podcast. <laughs> right? Are we standing together right. on this? Yeah, absolutely. Unless he comes out as pro-hamburger, he's or not maybe, coming on the podcast. Maybe he can come on the podcast and we can help convince him why hamburgers that aren't would be, the issue. That would be really interesting, I think, because like I just saw President just, or, Vice President Biden was on the Colbert Report the other night. It's like that. We could do a roundtable with some of the candidates. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I'm kind just going to shove what... hamburgers down his throat. That's all I'm going to do. <laughs> well, I'm sure he still that eats that hamburgers. I don't know. Is he one of the vegetarians? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know, but I'm nervous that he doesn't mm. like Beef. hamburgers. Yeah. Or steak. Right. Right. Mm. All right. Well, so that is an update there, a very <laughs> roundabout update on the Democratic <laughs> debate. But there's a lot of things to talk about as these campaigns get more serious. Yes, there absolutely is. Well, speaking of serious, Archer Daniels Midland is back in the news. ADM is now facing a lawsuit saying that they manipulated the cash ethanol market to profit from some of their hedging trades that they had put on. Um, Basically, this company called AOT Holdings, they are a Swiss company that owns an energy trading subsidiary. They filed a class action lawsuit late yesterday um, in the uh, the District Court of Central Illinois, uh, claiming that ADM's actions damaged them up to $6.33 million worth. And it's interesting. The reason I bring this up is we talked last year about how ADM was under fire for allegedly spike-selling ethanol. They were dumping ethanol in the final 30 minutes of trading when the contract was being – the prices were being set for the contract. And that's exactly what this company says. They say that uh, ADM is aggressively selling ethanol into the cash market at their terminal just outside Chicago and that basically what they were doing, it was irrational. It was contrary to self-interest unless it was intended to push prices of ethanol down so they could make money from their short hedges, which I thought was interesting. We will keep an eye on this case as it moves forward. But um, between price fixing in the chicken world and now this, there's a potentially lots of shenanigans going on in the right. world of agribusiness. And also, I mean, you consider Secretary Purdue issued the statement to look into beef packer margins after the Tyson fire plants. So definitely some shenanigans going on, it sounds like, Mike. Absolutely. Shenanigans are afoot. Yes, they are. That's a great word. It is. It is such a great word. <laughs> I always think of Super Troopers. Oh, I hate that movie. Oh, it's such a good movie. Delaney. Mm, I know. You're missing out. Okay. Well. You're just a hater. Yeah, I am. That I am. 
But in some other news, we got the Beige book released on Wednesday, which is put together by central banks across the country. And the Federal Reserve wrote that agricultural conditions remain weak as a result of unfavorable weather conditions and low commodity prices. And they say that stretching across their districts from Kansas City, Minneapolis, and St. Louis, they're finding very common themes with those trade woes, continued fallout from heavy rain and flooding. And it looks like they are expecting, I think this is just really reiterating what USDA has put out for forecasts, but sharp declines in crop and livestock prices are still weighing heavily on producers' bottom lines and expected to really feel those effects this year moving forward. Yeah, yeah, those sharp declines in prices, that is uh, not a lot of fun for anybody. No. Well, Madison, do you have any other news stories for us today? Well, Mike, I kind of want to circle back to talking, touching on the election. Um, Food insecurity has actually dropped to a decade low. It's at 11% or reported at 11% of all U.S. households were food insecure in 2018. Obviously, this meant that they experienced some difficulty feeding their family members at some point during the year. And a lot of anti-hunger advocates are hating on the Trump administration's nutrition policies and how they are putting um, higher restrictions on SNAP. And I think this is one other thing that we could see come into light in 2020. Oh, yeah. So we'll have to see if that conversation continues. Yes, definitely. Well, one other thing that's going to be happening in 2020 here is a new tool for producers to use in their toolbox. Syngenta today announced their newest seed treatment, which is the Saltro fungicide. It is approved by the EPA. And basically, this chemical is formulated to protect against sudden death syndrome as well as nematodes without causing too much stress to the plant. So it seems that this will be an exciting rollout for the 2020 growing season. All right. Well, yeah, always good to have more tools in the toolbox. That's for sure. Yes, it is. Well, let's see. I'm all out of news. Do either of you ladies have anything else? I am out as well. I am also Madison. news. All right. Well, let's dive into the markets before we get to our interview. And, folks, we've got mixed trade today in the grains. Both corn and wheat were up. Beans, whoo, big down day, although we did close uh, uh, actually right, right near the lows. I was going to say well off, but nope, it was pretty close to the lows. So here's where we wrapped for the day. September corn was up a half a cent at 346.5. December contract up a quarter at 358 and three quarters. In soybeans, that September was down 12 and three quarters cents to finish at 849 and three quarters. November down 14 to finish the day at 861 and a half. Looking at Chicago wheat, the September contract up seven and three quarters cents at 464 even. The December contract up five and a half, finished the day at 466 and a quarter. Looking over at the world of livestock, it is red pretty much all down the screen today. In live cattle, the October contract was down $1.15 at 97.8750. December down $1.35, closed the day at 102.22.5. In feeder cattle, September also down $1.15, finished at 134.40, with the October down $1.10, closing at 132.32.50. 
Mixed trade in lean hogs. The October was down 82 half at 66.30, with the December up 25 cents, finishing the day at 65.47 and a half. And looking over at the dairy market, big day for Class 3 milk. That September contract was up 10 cents at 17.89, with the October up 6, wrapping us up at 17.63. Delaney, why don't you tell us what we've got for our interview here for today's episode? I would love to. We're actually kicking it back out to another field reporter. Today's report comes from Bruce Gorder, who interviewed or chatted with Ron Lamberty, the Senior Vice President for the American Coalition for Ethanol. As most of you know, the EPA now allows E15 to be sold for all vehicles, model year 2001 and newer. At a recent workshop in Nebraska sponsored by the Nebraska Ethanol Board, I caught up with Ron Lamberti. He's the Senior Vice President for the American Coalition for Ethanol. We talked about the sales of E15 from a consumer and a retailer perspective. I asked him if there has been an uptick in E15 sales recently. Well, not much yet. It's still something that's brand new for most people, most stations. Um, There's still a lot of uh, mythology out there that we've got to bust because people think they need a lot more new equipment to sell E15, and they don't. It'll run in most of the, you can put in the tanks and lines and most of the dispensers that you've got E10 in. And so we're doing things like this workshop we're doing here today in Nebraska to try and inform retailers that they could put E15 in right now if they wanted to. Um, So there's some of that. Plus, I think, you know, there's only so many equipment companies that will go out and check your dispensers and make sure everything gets put in right. So it's going to take some time. And I think there's some that are just, you know, they've done the summer thing so many times that they don't want to mess with it. And they'll probably wait until September and make a decision. And and there's a lot of this business is full of a lot of people who are first to be second people. I mean, there's maybe that's a lot of businesses, but. It's like, you know, once somebody does it successfully around you, then they'll do it. And so that's why it's important to have some of those companies that have put the stuff in already and have them here again at events like this talking about how how well it's done for them. So maybe you inspire some others to try it. Not only the retailers, Ron, but also the consumer is confused. Like you say, been able to use it, you know, during the winter months, but not in the summer and vice versa. And now you can use it year-round. But the regular consumer really doesn't know about that. So it's an education process. Yeah, and it was an education process for us, too. What do we call the stuff? I mean, we, you know, we, know it's E5, we know it as E15, but that's not what stations call it. That's not what consumers call it. Consumers see E15, and they think, well, it's got an E in front of it. It must be flex fuel. And it's gasoline. I mean, by definition, by specification, it's gasoline. It's the same as unleaded gas as far as the, the ASTM spec goes for it. And so we had to make sure we were labeling it correctly and smartly. And so most places call it unleaded 88, which is unleaded plus the octane. There's a label on there that says, you know, 15% and, and the required labels. But I think once consumers saw that it's gasoline, unleaded gasoline or regular gasoline, they jumped in and moved it right away. And one of the things we have seen, too, with the summer not going into where they have to call it flex fuel, which is what most places did, we didn't see the drop-off we've seen in other years. So that alone, those three months when most of the gas is sold, we should see more We should see more blending than we've seen in the past several years. It's, it's um, you know, they, it would drop probably 30 to 50 percent in most stations, and this year it's pretty flat. It's pretty much stayed the same volume. When you talk to retailers, so you mentioned that there is confusion out there. Can I sell it, and what do I have to do? Do I have to put in new pumps, new tanks, everything? When they find out that it is relatively easy in a lot of cases, uh, are they listening to that word? 
Sure, but change is still hard. Yeah. Um, and right now, with ethanol and gas prices being closer than they were, say, last year, um, last year the gap was probably 80 cents. So, I mean, a, a difference of 5% would mean a 4 cent a gallon difference, and that's a pretty, pretty hefty thing to work with. Um, so right now it's like a penny and a half or two cents, so it might not be as big a deal for them. Um, but, you know, changing is always the biggest challenge. Once you, you know, you think about how many times they've changed gasolines in, you know, my lifetime, 58 years. You know, about the only thing was going from leaded to unleaded. That's about the only real change there's been. So E15 is the first time since the 70s that we've had a new fuel. So it's going to take some time for people to get used to it. But what we've seen is because it's higher octane, lower price, people jump right on it. These small refinery exemptions, we've talked about that quite a bit. Uh, let's talk about it from a retail standpoint. How is that going to affect the retail uh, price and the retail situation? The biggest effect it has on them is small refinery exemptions mean that some of the people who didn't buy ethanol and who would buy credits instead to meet the requirements don't have to buy the credits. Now, the credits were selling for 45 to 50 cents per gallon of ethanol, meaning 4 to 5 cents per 10 percent, or 7 or 8 cents per E15. And that's the credits that, uh, say, an independent blender would use, and then they would, um, they, would, they would blend the fuel, and then they would sell those credits to get some of the money back for, you know, any equipment they had, or just to either earn a better profit or, in most cases, to provide a better price on the street. And so because those those companies don't have to buy ethanol and don't have to buy RINs, the RINs have gone down in price to, you know, dimes and 20 cents and nickels. Um, and so there isn't that margin to give to consumers anymore. So that's probably the biggest impact. The reason that it's only a couple of cents difference between E15 and E10 right now, um, where it was 5 to 8 cents a gallon last year, is, is because of what's happened with RINs, and those RINs are direct reflection of the small refinery exemptions. If those gallons could get reallocated somehow here in the near future, do you think that would help? I think it would help make the RINs go up, but I think more than anything else, it would help us sell more fuel domestically. I mean, it, if you want to meet the renewable fuel standard, it's pretty simple right now as a refiner. You just need to sell some E15 or some E85. Um, beyond that, if, you, you know, if you're trying to get out of it, the current administration made that pretty easy too. So... Um, but that's, that's um, you know, there's a lot of ways you can sell it. There's not a lot more volume that's needed um, from, you know, the best years we've had domestically have been about 14.3 per 14.4 um, billion gallons of ethanol. 700 million is like, you know, if everybody who had a flex fuel vehicle bought two tanks of, of E85 this year, we'd hit 700 million new gallons. Um, E15, it's a little more than that, but I mean, 95% of the cars out there can use E15, so that's fairly achievable too so what we're just needing to do is get those fuels out there so people can see them because generally when they're out there people buy them and when people buy them they like them and they keep buying them so that's our mission here is to just kind of demystify and and then you know make sure they're not afraid to try uh, because it brings in new business it brings in new customers new inside sales um, and they'll make more money and that's what we're here to tell people today Our thanks to Ron Lamberti, Senior Vice President for the American Coalition for Ethanol. For Ag News Daily, I'm Bruce Gorder. 
Well, thank you, Bruce. Thanks for that conversation with Ron. So many things happening in the world of ethanol here as we look ahead to uh, 2020 or 2020. Yeah, 2020 is coming up, I suppose. Um, You know, and of course, it's going to continue to be a hot topic in the election cycle. That it is. That it is, Mike. But we've got other hot topics we have talked about on the podcast before. And listeners, if you would like to get caught up on any of them, you can listen to our past episodes. Just go to agnewsdaily.com. It'll bring you right to all of our archives with every single episode we have put together in our two and a half years of doing the podcast. Or you can always interact with us on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram by just searching for Ag News Daily, and we shall appear. With that, Madison, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.